Bingo. It is April 20th, 2020. You are listening to the Rough and Tumble podcast. You are now listening to the Rough and Tumble podcast. That was so unnecessarily loud on my end. I don't it's, know how. It was cutting out. on. The, I think it's because you have the uh, the filter thing on or whatever. The Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, possible. so every now and then it would play, and then other times it wouldn't, just depending on where your microphone, I guess, was. The intro was just like banging in my headphones. <laughs> I was like, geez, I'm not that hyped right now. I'm not on that level. I'm still in my <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I don't think I've like put on normal clothes in a good while there was a whole a whole maybe like you know how like a shower cycle sometimes is like two or three days oh absolutely <laughs> i had a whole i think a whole shower cycle where i didn't put deodorant on and <laughs> I got to when it was time to shower again i was like god damn i need to shower <laughs> you know like that is it's that is yeah bad. it's part of my um everything's regimented with me so like I don't forget to put deodorant on as long as I don't forget to brush my teeth. And I also don't forget to put deodorant on. Oh, see, but if I, I forget to brush my teeth then I don't put deodorant on my, like I'll brush my teeth and we have two bathrooms and I'll like wake up and brush my teeth in one room and then go in the other bathroom and like maybe put on deodorant in there and like shower in there. Don't get <laughs> the towel out of the other bathroom. That's just utter chaos. Yeah, dude, you know how I live my life. I'm just kind of <laughs> all over the place. Um, we got this is another episode with Stephanie on. Yep. Uh, and Craig. Yeah, we we brought Craig on, and now people are gonna be like, "Who the fuck's Craig?" He's our yeah. recording um, engineer. He's our yeah. So we 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 now have a recording engineer and an intern. Uh, pretty, <laughs> yeah. Are we still counting Stephanie as a intern, or has she graduated to producer? Um. We haven't fired her in a good episode. No, a I've good come so close. Of episodes. I've come so close. Yeah, <laughs> so many times. Hmm. I think I've never can. met somebody that could that could mess up uh, <laughs> recording over the phone like she can. <laughs> <laughs> I've, never, I've never met somebody that can mess up something so complicated as consistently <laughs> as I I can. <laughs> <laughs> You're perfectly on par with how Bradley I screw things up, uh, Stephanie. So we're don't don't be concerned. <laughs> no, you have uh, you guys both have way more responsibility than I do with this whole thing. I was telling when were we talking? If, oh, yesterday when we got on, me and Stephanie got on to do our commercial that you didn't show up for, Mitch. Actually, by the way, where was it? We had a commercial yesterday. Yeah, we were, we were supposed to. We were going to. Or but you texted and said, don't it. worry about it. Well, I did. That was after me and Stephanie had got on Discord and were like, had a little meeting uh, oh. without you. 
I'm going to be honest, guys. Sorry, we I was so did. drunk. That, oh, it's, um, it's a good thing that we didn't have you on there. <laughs> yeah, like I was insanely drunk. That's fantastic. And so um, that's why I didn't remember. I'm not even sure I was even at my house when you guys were doing that. No, I think you were. I don't know where you were. Um, we had um, my daughter's birthday was yesterday, so we we had a little get together, a small um, COVID nineteen appropriate distancing yeah. get together. And, um, and I just, I had a lot to drink. Um, <laughs> no, uh, we, we assumed that like you were asleep or something. And so nope, that... I did not go to sleep till about four in the morning. Oh, wow. I was, man, you really did have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was exhausted at like nine 30. I think it was, I was like, guys, I'm going to bed. I remember seeing that now that you guys say something. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome um well so is that why is that why at 9 55 you said hey i hate to be that guy but i'm tired so let's reschedule this for tomorrow yeah that's exactly why yeah. and that was and you guys had been waiting on me since yeah. nine o'clock i even made sure to get home <laughs> from uh, hot springs by nine o'clock oh, oh i did because i <laughs> You said you said let's go, and I said stand by. I'm about to be home, and then I never, you, I was never heard from again. <laughs> it's me and Stephanie want to talk to you about a problem that we see arising with you. <laughs> Is this an intervention? Yeah. yeah, sit down, please. We brought your family here to talk to you. Um, no, that's like that's literally like the first time that Mitch has ever let me down. So I'm fine. That's it. true, and again, like. It's just, it's so, it just goes to show you how scatterbrained I was. And I didn't even answer for 30 minutes. Like you said, let's go at 9.07 and it was 9.30 when I answered you back. <laughs> That's kind of why we were like, oh, he's just probably asleep. And then I was like, well, I'm going to bed because I'm tired too. Um, that makes more sense now. Makes, that whole conversation no, now makes more sense. Yeah. It makes no difference though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but fuck you. You're fired, Mitch. That's fair. Had a, had a conference, a conference call. <laughs> and we vote you out. Um, oh, that's hilarious. So Stephanie's been promoted to producer, assistant to the... Assistant to the assistant regional manager. <laughs> you know what's fun is, like, we really do get to just make up whatever fucking roles we want to. Oh, I know. And, it's like, and then you still get to put them on your resume because, and this, Stephanie, if you put, if you put those on a resume and they call us, we will tell them that you did those things. <laughs> yeah. We're nice. not gonna, you know, but, like yeah, she absolutely. She worked on our podcast. She was our executive producer for several also, years. And also, when the IRS calls us, we will tell them, "Yes, you did those things." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've never received a ten ninety nine. You're you're in it for the good, and you're in it for the bad too. <laughs> but we're uh, just gonna write like um, instead of ten ninety nines, we're just gonna give you a bunch of sticky note IOUs like from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Keep that. You you really want to gonna hold on to that you're one? Gonna, yeah, you're gonna hold that. It's two hundred fifty thousand. That's a car. Yeah. Um. I guess this would be a good time, as any, to introduce the series that we're doing right now. Yeah, uh, I'm actually really excited about this. I am too, and it came as just like, I don't even know where it came from. Totally kind of random. We've kind of been mulling it over for a couple days at that point, and then it just all dawned on me. I was like, holy cow. Um. But basically, we're gonna do a series of our take on uh, kind of the renegades of martial arts, the people um, 
that started what we're doing now. Um, starting off with this series, the reason that you um, have rank in the first place, uh, Kano Jigoro. Yes. So um, the plan is to, are we going to talk about the three-part series? Or do we just want them to let it be a surprise? Oh, no, we can talk about all three. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I want to like get people excited about it, all three of it. Yeah, go ahead. So the, the idea is uh, we're gonna we're doing a three-part series. Um, first episode, being today, is going to be over the roots of Kano and his um, contributions to the gentle art. And then uh, we'll talk, we're going to talk a little bit general. about... Yeah, martial arts in general. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Maeda. Um, on the next episode and then finally we'll close out the three-part series with um, kind of distinguishing the the family trees of talking about carlos gracie side and the um luis franca side uh, where gf team and and the non-gracie lineage of brazilian jiu-jitsu comes from really kind of where the where the tree branches you mm -hmm. know um but the reason i said like the contribution to martial arts in general for kano is like he's like Judo is known as like the first um, modern martial art. Um, What's interesting about the really judo thing <laughs> is, so I've just always known judo was a thing. Like, you know, you, you never really think about the inception of these martial arts that we have names for now, because, mm -hmm. um, you know, karate at one point was not called karate, but we, we don't have any, we personally, and I'm sure that Mr. Dreen and other people out there do, but um, have, you know, the the history of that. But we don't know where the history of karate came from or where the name started at or whatever. But yeah. it's kind of cool uh, when I was doing some research, um, you know, the, the realization of, oh, there was a time when judo wasn't judo. Right. And then yeah. it became judo. Judo is, such like a, judo is such a fine-tuned art. It's just like, you know, you think that it's just been around for million, thousands of years. Like, yeah. wrestling is kind of that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. I always view wrestling as like, this is something that's like pretty much been perfected. You know, like, everybody that does anything in wrestling is just a better version of what somebody else has, has already done. Oh, yeah. There's very few people, you know, every once in a while, somebody will come around where like, there's this new technique, but it doesn't seem like it's being uh, just completely innovated the way that we've seen like jiu-jitsu. What's interesting is, is, and we'll talk about this as we start kind of getting into Kano here in a minute, is that just like with other martial artists like Bruce Lee and guys like that, he, he took a couple of things from a couple of different martial arts and put them together to create judo. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said that because there's like, um, that was something that I was like really, really into and noticing was that it's a similarity amongst all of them. Mm -hmm. It's like, and even today you see like these people that are the innovators and like as much as, you know, you hate to give it to Eddie Bravo. Um, there's a lot of stuff that he really has like pushed into jujitsu, into jujitsu, even though it came straight from wrestling, you know, oh, like, absolutely. there's stuff that he most of his stuff was just like pulled straight from wrestling when uh, he even said that i mean he he said that yeah. when he first started training jiu-jitsu he had no idea what he was doing so he just kept doing what he did know which was wrestling moves and it it makes sense like that's 
you know, and, and that's exactly where uh, Kano was too. It was like, it makes sense to start looking at these other grappling arts to try and put in and, and mix. I've been thinking a lot about it actually. Cause like, um, uh, our friend, uh, from, from Britain, Alex, mm-hmm. sent, sent the, uh, did you watch the Hodger Gracie documentary? I haven't yet. I watched it and it's, uh, it was really good. Actually. I was like, I was really into it. It, uh, it documents his journey to, uh, the absolute title. He, oh, that's super cool. It, Cause he keeps getting like, uh, Jacare beat him that first year yep. in what 2004 and then he broke uh, his arm. Yeah, when Jacare broke his arm and everything. Which and also he, was the the actual fight that introduced the um failure to engage rule for the IBJJF. So in 2005, uh, he lost again to, to um to Jacare and then like he just went on this losing streak for the absolute title and finally um once he, you know, he finally ended up winning it, but that whole journey was really interesting. It was really interesting to see like the legends too. You can spot like Andre Galvo in the corner, somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hamilo Baral is in one of the fights with him and stuff. So you see like some of the legends of today at the beginnings of them, uh, of their journeys as well. I don't know. It was really interesting. You should watch it though. Yeah, it was really cool of Alex to give us that link um, to be able to go and, and do that. I just I get so scatterbrained uh, throughout the day just because when I'm not working, you know, I'm here taking care of the kids and it's not easy to sit down and just do something because every 10 seconds I've either got a baby crying or I've got another child that has severed their hand or yeah. um, caught working- something in the backyard on fire. Now you're working on your 12th child. Yeah. <laughs> no more. <laughs> um so but that was that was something that uh Kano had been uh that that's a staple across his kind of like journey in martial arts was constantly like looking outside of their boundaries for um uh for for, for more techniques and to further their their art. And I always thought that was really, uh, I think that's really interesting to see the parallels. The other thing that was really cool is like, it really makes you feel like things aren't so different mm-hmm. from uh, then and now. Because there's like, so he got into it because he was, uh, he was like a small, frail kid. Sounds and, familiar. Yeah. And like, like everybody that gets into martial arts is. So it's, I don't know, it's, um, it's interesting to see those parallels. Do we have anybody in our Discord right now? I don't know how to look. Um, Stephanie, are you looking back and forth? Is Stephanie still with us? Stephanie fell asleep. Nailed it. <laughs> and now Stephanie's gone. No, I hit the wrong button. Oh, classic. I took uh, it off mute. I was on the other, uh, my tech side. Oh. Uh, yeah. Rachel's kind of gone on and off with no questions yet. Oh, okay. Um, you can get on there and like, um, be on there and be like, yo, send us questions or whatever. Already um, on it, boss. Oh, there you go. You, oh, okay. So we're in the process of trying to figure out, um, 
how to use Discord. And it's uh it's interesting, but I think it's so cool. I really think that it's like the future, you know? Uh we get to have our own like podcast uh AOL chat room. <laughs> I know. And especially in like what's going on right now. Like that makes it just makes sense to have especially right now. Yeah. Um, you know who would love it? Dr. Kino Jigoro would love it. <laughs> because of his innovations. And the thing is, is he really didn't uh, innovate much. But, you know, to kind of, I guess we can go ahead and kind of start going down that path. But, um, but like we said earlier, just just like with the Gracies, right? He was a small, frail kind of guy, uh, got constantly bullied, apparently, and um, decided he wanted to get into martial arts. But the interesting thing about it was his dad initially was against it because his dad believed that education was primary. Like you had to be educated because that's what he was in Japan. He was a teacher. He was actually a, an educator um, in Japan. And that was what he did as a professional, as a profession. But uh, his dad finally gave in after he kind of saw how um, dedicated he was to really learning uh, that martial the martial arts. And so he was like, basically like, yeah, if you're going to do this then you're going to go all in, like, you know, we don't do anything half-assed. So if you're going to get into this, you're going to get into it then. And that kind of is what led him into that path. It showed too, that he was like throughout all of it though. He, they use an intellect, like he was a person that would, mm -hmm. would study um, and, and learn. And back then, I mean, like you wouldn't be able to pull those techniques from wrestling and from other uh, martial arts if you didn't uh excuse me if you if if you if you weren't studying there's like no other way you know what i'm saying yeah uh, and it you go you ahead hop on youtube and watch a bunch of youtube videos real quick that's like, what yeah. i was i thought was interesting was um throughout the story of of his life it talks about how you know when he started training in um his first martial art and he was having trouble beating some of the guys in the class and he would incorporate uh, stuff like the Katagruma from wrestling. And that was actually, it was called like the, the cartwheel shoulder throw was like what it was originally called, um, yeah. which I found out is not allowed to, you can't do Katagurumas in judo competitions. Right. Because it, you touch the leg. Yeah. That's super in weird. 2000, in 2010, they banned uh, touching the leg. So it's like uh Katagruma is like shoulder wheel throw or something mm -hmm. like that. Um but yeah, like in two thousand ten they banned touching the leg in judo. In which is really interesting because like that's apparently Kano's favorite technique, the creator of Yeah, he was kind of almost uh you know it is kind of ironic that his go to technique was a technique that was later banned in his own sport. Yeah, like how do you? I don't know how do you do that. <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, that's such a a clear night and day thing. But he was also like extremely. Um, it seemed like he was extremely into safety um, too, because he would he would keep track of how uh, how much everything, what injuries happened in the in the dojo or. Um, how they happened, what techniques caused what injuries and things like that. Um, so he kept track of those kinds of things and, uh, go ahead with your, 
with your documentary on it, Mitch, did you have more to say about it? Yeah. And so um, one thing also that I thought was interesting, um, it, it, it doesn't really say this or kind of allude to it, it alludes to it, but it doesn't actually say it. But um, <laughs> totally. I guess his. Huh? <laughs> I totally made it up. Yeah, <laughs> it. Um, I, I'm assuming that his family had a little bit of money, um, because his his parents, um, they ran a sake brewing company. Like that's that's what they did. His family brewed sake, and um, he went to private schools. And so mm-hmm. he had his own English tutor. Um, he was actually in a school that allowed him to improve on. He 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 had German. He knew German, English, um, all that, and like. It just doesn't seem like in in that time, you know, in the eighteen hundreds, like it didn't seem like you could just the average person couldn't send their kids to those types of things, you know. Well, and what's interesting too is like th- around that time uh, in Japanese history, you you originally couldn't learn uh, martial arts unless you were of like nobility or like you were a samurai, you know. Mm-hmm. And then um, eventually, it dwindled down to. Uh, you could only learn the martial arts if you had money, and then so like the people that had more money could learn the martial arts. And then again, that's an interesting, um, an interesting correlation considering where jujitsu went and and the way it was propagated in Brazil after the fact. You know, considering right. the Gracie family and stuff. Yeah, 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 and um, and I. I think that uh, I think because of Kano's, I don't know if it's directly, but I think like because of Kano's efforts, he opened it up to a more wider uh, group. Like I think he, I guess he, of course he opened it up to a wider group, but I mean like um, broke it out of like it's only for the rich kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, originally I mean it was for people that had money, and that would make sense that. You know, Kano would have money, or his family would have money, uh, and and him. You know, you, you get what I'm saying. Like that lines up. Yeah, and it makes sense that it would be something of for nobility or whatever the case may be, just because you have to pay for that. And so families during that time, I can imagine, if it was non-essential, it you didn't put money toward it. And so the idea of of paying for martial arts lessons, it makes sense that it would be more reserved for the rich only because they were the only ones that were going to be able to have the disposable income to pay for the lessons themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that totally makes sense. Um, go ahead. You had more, you have, yeah, like a, he, you have a whole thing. I'm excited. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I've, I've spent a lot of years, you know, going down this path, but, um, what, so he, he did initially start training jujitsu. His dad finally let him start training jujitsu. And, um, he actually, when he was initially trying to find teachers, which I mean, I don't know what the prevalence was for martial arts teachers. You know, we all think about it and go, well, everybody in Japan knows Kung Fu. So how hard is it to find a martial arts instructor? But, um, he looked for bone setters, right? Yeah. Bone setters. Yeah. So they were basically doctors and it was because he believed that they would have a stronger idea of anatomy and the understanding. Let's go back. How fucking cool of a name is bone setters. I know. That's a badass name. Like that would be a sweet uh band name. That would be a sweet like group of people. What if like our rough and tumble crowd that was their you know how like 
your fan people's fan base or whatever has like a name to them or whatever what if that was their name bone setters <laughs> i think it's a pretty awesome uh name to begin with it could be like a motorcycle gang name yeah we're the yeah. <laughs> but it would be um, a motorcycle gang they were they were basically like that that time in in uh history's um chiropractors you know like uh, a physical therapist whatever they would reset dislocated bones and joints and things like that um equally as terrifying too well they didn't have any formal training that was the crazy part like they had no formal training they just kind of like you know like figured it out and they got passed down from father to son and and from but like generation to generation it was japan like 1860 so i bet it was like they were probably like had everything figured out you know what i'm saying yeah, because bone setting kind of it. I mean, it had been around since like the 1500s, so it had been around for years. They apparently it was like a pretty well known practice in Japan at the time. But it's it's kind of cool to know that he he understood that their level of understanding and that so that's who he sought out to to learn that from. Um, yeah, it would make sense because they. I mean, they would understand where the uh, the leverage points, you know, where the the places of leverage are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, so once he did eventually find a teacher, um, what I thought was kind of cool was it, you really get to kind of see throughout the his development, the different styles. So um, judo is really well known for the kata and the randori, you know, um, we don't say niwaza, we don't say randori and kata in Brazilian jiu jitsu, it's kind of an antiquated term. But judo, it was it's still a pretty well-known term. And so um, his first teacher actually stressed more on technique over the actual ritual of doing the technique, uh, the, the katas. And so he would he would give the students a short description of the technique and then be like, all right, you guys practice it, like go go drill it or whatever. And then once they got they drilled it, then they would graduate to the katas, which is basically no contact, you know, which is kind of a strange way to do it. Like, it's almost like you're doing it backwards. You're, you're learning the technique and practicing the technique in real time before you go through all the movements and motions of learning it at a slower pace, which was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, bone setters, Stephanie just said bone setters are dated back to 1552 BC. Yeah. That's a long time. Dude, yeah, around the like, Egyptian times. Do you have you ever watched? Uh, I got really excited about. <laughs> have you ever watched? Um, the, on YouTube, sometimes I'll find uh, videos that are like 1906 New York City, right? Uh, and it's like restored video footage or whatever of just like driving down through New York City, and it's like just completely quiet or whatever. But it's like I watch those all the time. They totally trip me out. I think they're freaking awesome i think it's uh, funny that people are um making posts on like instagram of obviously um current photos but they're doing the whole like um you know i don't know it's it's hard to explain but you know like they take old photos and they colorize them and it'll say like you know a boy and his dog in 1906 new york colorized yeah they've been doing that with like super modern day photos too and it and it's oh, it, <laughs> it makes no sense um people are getting so dramatic about all of that i know um 
I just want to go. I want to like a time machine to be able to go back and like see what things were actually like. You know, what would like I can't stop thinking about what would it be like in a bone setter's office. I bet that would be one of the most terrifying places if you were just plopped into with no uh, no context. Like imagine yeah. Mitch Mitch just gets plop, like pulled from his chair right now and plopped into 1552 into the first bone setter's office, doctor's office. Or a dental office. Yeah, I'd be shitting myself, dude. <laughs> I think dentistry would be way worse, you know, like. Oh, I'm, because... I already have a legit, like, I actually have a phobia of the dentist. They terrify me. And they, they have modern technology. Like, imagine what it was like back then no, when there yeah. was. Dude, you, know... you cannot tell me that. Think about any dental instrument. None of that has progressed since the 40s. There's been no reason to, it, you know, like. Not a single bit of it. Like, it's also like air pressure drills that are like these giant fucking needles that like the the needles always look like comically large and have like the giant metal uh plunge mm-hmm. you know, like the hook that with that your thumb goes into and they push it into it's the needles like six feet long no you know i wonder it, when when dentists go to dental school because, you know, they they teach doctors how to develop bedside manner and stuff like that. And and they teach customer service representatives how to provide customer service. But every all, dentist all I've ever been to. What's, uh, doctorate. What's a doctor school? <laughs> Fuck. Uh, medical school. For lack of bedside manner, it gets sent to dental school. Yeah. And the thing is, though, is it's like dentists still feel like they're supposed to have some form of bedside manner. And so they still try to have conversations with you when you obviously cannot talk to them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. I've like, never understood that. I've never once gone to a dentist where at least three times they didn't ask me a question that required me to answer while they had their hands in my mouth. And there's such like, there's such judgmental assholes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Who comes out of the, who comes out of the dental office without a cavity? these days you know what i'm saying oh yeah and then so like you go in there like oh oh this cavity oh my god you know and you're like dude stop looking at me like that fuck yeah so i have everybody has cavities it doesn't mean i do meth yeah i have a tattoo on the inside of my lip and my my dentist wanted to take a picture oh no kidding yeah or she's not telling you is that he was highly uh drugged and not wearing a shirt yeah (laughs) of course i'll I'll take a picture with you of course um speaking of tattoos the i was thinking about this the other uh the other day postmate stuff i had uh, i was at sonic and the guy goes oh fucking sweet ink bro and i was like oh (laughs) and i had a rain jacket on in my uh in my truck and he has a face mask on and he takes his face mask off to ask me about my tattoos. <laughs> Excuse me while I, I breathe in your face. Right? And I'm um, like, come on, dude. And so he, I, then he asked me, can you, take it, can you take your jacket off so I can see them? And I was like, <laughs> so uncomfortable. Go ahead. I, I have people compliment my sleeve a lot. and um, But it's, it's always the same conversation. It's always, I really like your tattoos. And then I go, thank you. 
and he go and then they go i have this one and then they want to show me yeah and it's always the worst worst mm-hmm. tattoo ever um that was done yeah. with like a, a burnt needle in prison cell 564 you know and in Angola. Um, and it's blown out, all the ink's blown out. And now you have to lie to that person because now you have to go, nice, dude, nice. Yeah, yeah. I like that. How many people that have asked you about a tattoo have been people that that you're then friends with? You know, Never. like or that you want to be even near that level of human being. <laughs> yeah, it's never been yeah, it's never been that way. I've had somebody ask, like they always say like the word ink or tats. Nice tats. Yeah, I, I get. I like your. I get um, nice ink all the time. Yeah, and I'm, I always like immediately look at them. You're the like the lowest form of humanity. <laughs> I just tell them it's a birthmark and then walk off. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's never good. I had a yeah. I've told the story, but I had the lady at the gas station like just lift up her shirt, show me like her stretch marks and everything. She's like, yeah, I got this one to cover up my stretch marks. these ones are still pretty bad and i'm like oh my god it's just it's a slinky see look (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's an accordion (laughs) i'm glad that we've properly disgraced this episode (laughs) um so speaking of uh speaking of tattoos so one of the things that kano did do um see i just i pulled the old the the old kansas city shuffle that johnny does um so he was having trouble uh, beating one of the guys in his class, one of the older guys. And he actually started bringing in techniques from like sumo and stuff, but he didn't have the the stature to do it, um, which is where he ended up pulling the fireman's carry um, out of a wrestling book. And that's what, what I thought was cool. Cause you and I were talking about this earlier where um, there was no YouTube. And so yeah. the, whatever resources he had available to him is what he had to pull from. So it was twofold. One, because wrestling, although was obviously very familiar uh, to the world at the time, um, not everybody had access to that information or not everyone was looking for that information. So he could go and uh, pull techniques from other martial arts, bring them into the to the gym or to the dojo and use them. And no one was the wiser because, you know, it's kind of like what Eddie Bravo was doing is that. um he would bring stuff in. And the reason he was so successful in jujitsu was because pure jujitsu guys weren't doing wrestling techniques. So they had no idea how to defend it. They were very strictly based on the techniques that were being taught to them by their instructors within jujitsu and not spreading out into other places. Um, which is so funny because we've had conversations in the past on this episode, on this, the show about how so many gyms, they, they, uh, they, you know, a very particular, group that we've talked about before, you know, there's no cross training allowed. And and if you're not doing this particular style of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you're not doing real jiu-jitsu. It has to be this, but the founding roots of jiu-jitsu since Kano all the way up to Maeda, all the way to Luis, uh, Luis Franca and Carlos, it was all about innovating techniques from other places. Yeah. And they're, they're all like, uh, with Kano, well, in Kano's instance, he's trained and sought training from several different uh, coaches and styles of the same martial art. Mm-hmm. He, what's what I thought was interesting uh, about it, or most interesting, is that there's a lot of documentation on 
on Kano. Like there's not there's not a lot of uh of documentation on guys like Louis Luis Franca. No, it would I guess because you think about who was controlling the media at the time. Yeah, you know? yeah, he got he got overshadowed. Yeah. For sure. But like even with Maeda, I don't feel like there's as much uh as much literature on Maeda as there is on Kano. Because Kano right. was just such a, like a a figure. They they kept on to everything. And um from what I read in his uh like journals whenever he was still training with one coach he had seen another style and had noted how their style was like superior and he wanted to go try um to train with them and then after his coach died um he went and trained with that school and joined that school yep um which i think is really really interesting that we can see that in everything that i've read too he seems like a really um for the most part a level-headed person but i don't know if that's uh again what we were talking about like i think these stories are like porn like nobody watches um nobody watches like the i love yous and stuff like that they just want to watch this fucking they cut all the they cut all the the stuff that they don't want you to hear about you know and so it's like that that um that Japanese culture kind of thing is very, very respectful and very like humble. So I wonder how much of that has tinted the view of Kano and how much of it's like very, very honest, you know? Right. Um, Cause he seems like, it seems like Kano is just like a very like chill, uh, relaxed dude. Mm-hmm. Which is, go ahead. Well, that's fairly, um, expected of of that era of that particular culture you know yeah um, very humble um almost self-deprecating at times but extremely hardworking apparently because the dude like i mean he you know and that's the other thing is is this guy was a kano was an a teacher um both in the martial arts world and in the civilian sector i guess you could call it you know can you imagine um the amount of dedicate time dedication you have to put in to get this good at a martial art while also maintaining like a family and um, a career. That's true. I, I want to know. Um, so here's something like I want to know how many of the judo techniques are They're Obviously. Um, so like there's 40 judo, uh, 40 throws in the Kodokan judo, whatever structure. And I want to know like, how many, where each one came from. I think that's, that's what I'm trying to say. So he basically combined two different martial arts per se, or two different styles, I guess you would say, because there was the Kido Ryu, which was um, all the throws. And then you had the Shinyo Ryu, which was the choking and pinning. And so he took the choking and pinning stuff from one style and combined it with the throwing style from another martial art and put them together to kind of create what would be known as judo, which is why you have the, the submissions and the throws in judo. So if you have, if you have the 40 throws or the 40 uh, techniques of judo or whatever, mm-hmm. it is, or exactly what it is, um, then I want to see, I want to know what the, uh, the Shinyu style 
I want to know what their 40 techniques or whatever is. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. Because, I mean, he, he obviously didn't take all of them. Right. I want to see what he cut out and, like, yeah. what reasons. Because what if the... What what if it's something that maybe he just didn't understand the um the application to, but if you know, like you went back and looked at it now with a, a mind looking at jujitsu um, that maybe he wasn't looking at, then the techniques might be more valuable. Does yeah, make- because they they probably only had applicability based on what he saw as an application of procedure. So at the right. time. If he looked at a technique and was like, "There's, I'm never going to use that. There's no reason to have that in my style. But then now we look at it and go, no, that's totally applicable right now. Yeah, right. Like, what if the Barambola was hidden deep in there or something? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and he's like, that's stupid. Why would anybody do that? And now we're like, oh, that's a technique that we do for some stupid reason. I know. You know, like, if you, if you were looking at, if you were going to create another martial art out of jiu-jitsu, that would probably be one of those things if you're plucking from Brazilian jiu-jitsu, that would be one of those things that would probably get left out. Or maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it would be based. That would be one of the things that get added to or added in. Uh, but does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like Barambolo kind of techniques would get plucked out of there. Um, worm guard, that'd get plucked out of there. Maybe even spider guard. Spider guard can be pretty useful at times, though. I don't know. Yeah. Depending on the situation. Yeah. Um, um, there's a couple of things that Steph kind of typed up. Um, she mentioned their mats um, basically just being straw on the ground. And so that's kind of like where the initial tatami came from was like those straw mats on the ground. And then um, she mentioned that uh, Kano was sent to meet with a baron who was the father, father of modern day Olympics. So what I find to be interesting about that statement um, is he he was extremely well connected because not only was he able to travel all over the place and learn these different martial arts to create judo um he also was able to get judo to be taught in in public schools in japan well from what i understand like when he was um you know whenever i guess at his height or whatever uh i think i don't think he ever had like a downfall. I think he was just riding that high until he died. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like whenever he was the fucking man, he was like pretty much the second guy in command in Japan. Um, because when we get later on into Maeda, um, we learned that Kano had, um, had issues there and, uh, it ended up being the emperor in between it. And so like, that tells me that, like, I think from the judo just rising, you know, he became like that superstar of Japan. I would, I would imagine, right? Yeah. Um, cause like he'd, and cause he had gone to what well, he'd gone to like two, three different, several different Olympics. Mm-hmm. He, I don't think he was even alive whenever. Uh, judo was first introduced into the Olympics. I don't think he, he was either. I know he was a representative um, right. for Japan, you know, but just like Brazil was trying to get Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu into the Olympics, um, you know, but it, it hasn't happened, right? So you're, you, every country sends a representative 
uh, that they of of a sport or whatever that they want to be entered into the Olympics. Um, but it doesn't always happen, obviously. And um, and I think a lot of that was because when he created the um, the Kodokan Judo Institute, it was an actual governing body at this point. So here it is. It's an actual institute that had, you know, over a thousand members by like 1911. And um, eight floors in 19, like I think in the 1940s or something, it had eight floors with 1200 mats. Mm hmm. That's insane, dude. Eight. Imagine a gym running a gym with eight floors of mats going on. One of the ways that they would practice to get better, because there weren't a whole lot of you know people doing judo at the time, because he created it, is he actually used to have his students uh, do competitions against um, local police jujitsu teams. And now, of course, the jujitsu that we're talking about here is not the jujitsu that we know today. Like the Japanese jujitsu. Yeah, and. Um, but yeah, so his students would regularly compete against police officers who essentially, at the, you know, were the samurais of that time, I guess you could say, because they were the only entities that were engaging in, in combat because they were police officers. You know, they were dealing with bad people and bad guys and stuff. So, um, which is funny because now fast forward to modern day society and yeah. our police officers get defensive tactics training once a year yeah you it's, know like yeah it's bad sad. then in like th that um that was something that i found interesting about reading through like the journey of brazilian jiu-jitsu is how much the brazilians adopted that into their law enforcement pretty quickly um and even like it seems like through time we've lost that touch with like we need to make sure that our law enforcement is like well equipped to deal with human to human contact and just over time that's eroded even more so now now we're not even allowed to contact i know and i know what what i one of the reasons that i think that um providing law enforcement with more combatives training the reason i find that to be so important is not because not for the obvious reasons, which is that um, they're dealing with combat on a regular basis in you know in, in civilian combat. Um, but it's more so because the reason that you see so many uh, law enforcement issues go awry, you know, so many altercations and, and go wrong where you have officer involved shootings and things like that is because they are they are they only have so many options. And once you exhaust all the, the highest level of that option, you you know, it's, they, they teach police officers to, to go through a series of steps ideally. Right. So, you know, it's verbal commands and then it's this, and then it's this and the last resort being to pull your weapon and fire it. Um, but if I give you two tools to use, you're going to go through the process pretty quickly. But if I give you five different tools, you know, one of which being some form of combative training where that you can actually utilize to control and subdue the uh, perpetrator. Now, I've added a, a another wall in between the last line of defense, which is your your weapon, your gun. You know, and well, it just makes sense to have more tools. And I was going to tell you guys, I got the answer on the Olympics. Oh so, yeah. So in 1938, it became time for them to decide where the 1940 Olympics was going to be held, and they decided it was going to be at Tokyo, mm -hmm. and. Kano was on his way 
back to Japan where he was going to get to see judo in the Olympics for the first time. It was their 12th ever. And unfortunately, he died of a sickness aboard the ship on his return at 79 years old. I think he had uh, pneumonia. Yeah, yeah, pneumonia. Some people said it was food poisoning, but I think they ruled it basically pneumonia. Yeah, yeah, I read that. Um, well, I read that, or I'd heard that there was like talk of, of a conspiracy. Of course. But uh, no, no proof to back it up. That's with, uh, that's everything, though. Everything has a conspiracy to it now. Um, no, I, I really think that his whole journey is just so interesting to draw the parallels back and forth of like, it seems he didn't do anything different than, uh, than what we see the innovators doing now. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't live that, that much differently. The reasons that he does everything, pretty much the same that we do things now even like uh some of the 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 way that the sports progress like uh almost all of these combat sports start off illegal everywhere and then they slowly progress into being acceptable and i think that's judo is not that case but um i read that boxing actually in the united states boxing was illegal for a period of time really yeah and the um the what was interesting is the the travel you couldn't you couldn't take boxing uh film from state to state if you got caught with it traveling with it from state to state so it affected like the film industry of boxing for a little while um yeah i'm reading like this book on how the film industry and boxing like coexist and grew together and it's really interesting to see like the weird little things that happened <laughs> but do we have any more uh on kano so he died he didn't get he didn't get to see it in the olympics yep he didn't get to see it in the olympics um and then so ultimately you know he he developed a huge network um the the kodakan judo obviously spread it out you know and he kind of had his his mission statement was basically to empower the weak basically you know his idea was maximum efficiency with minimum effort and so um and then also mutual welfare and benefits so which is kind of interesting because his teachings and and we're going to get into this on the third episode when we talk a little bit about the gf team and and the non-gracie lineage with luis franca and and how they dealt, you know, a lot of gyms in, in Brazil do the um, uh, social projects where they're, they want to build better citizens. Mm. Um, you know, I, I've had conversations with Master Julio, the, the, the head instru- the leader of GF team, and, and that's what he always says. All the, you know, world champions are great. It's great to be this and being the best. But at the end of the day, our goal is to create better citizens. And so it's interesting because it seems like um, that was Kano's initial uh, not initial, but that was his lifelong um, mantra throughout the development of the organization that he built around judo, making sure that they were benefiting the physical and the mental um, of the citizen. Um, so it was it was kind of interesting to see that. And then I thought about that too when I read that um, exactly was it what, what you had said. It was just interesting to see like again the same things. Yeah, go ahead. But um, ultimately. 
you know, that's, that's kind of where it came down from and, and that's where he got started. And it eventually became a, obviously a, a world recognized sport because the Olympics picked it up. And then of course they've changed it completely to something that it, it wasn't uh, initially designed to be, which I'm afraid may happen to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu if it ever got picked up in the Olympics. Um, you know, we talked earlier about how you can't even do a Katagruma because you can't do, uh, you can't touch the legs. You're not allowed to touch the legs with your hands in judo. I, I, that's so ridiculous. But see, then something, some new, uh, I mean, like, that's kind of where it, that's where Kano started out. You know, like, he looked outside of the bounds of his martial art to find, like, the the boundaries of what they were doing mm-hmm. to find how to progress, uh, how to push that to grow bigger. And now, like, I don't know. Now you'll have to look, you know, judo players will have to look outside of the realm of judo in order to progress themselves. But they can't even do that. I, there was a guy um, that competed in Sambo. Did you hear about that? Mm-mm. There was like, um, where was he from? I'm not sure what country he was from. But he got banned from doing uh, any judo tournament. Um, because... Uh, because he went and did a sambo. I think the reason, though, was the Olympic training facilities um, to train for the sambo tournament. You know, like, hmm. I got you. So it was kind of utilizing their technology and, and equipment and stuff to, to go outside of another uh, it is, competition. It is really distracting to have like a chat going on. I don't know how like streamers or whatever do it because it's like i read why can't you touch the legs like right in the middle of me talking and i was like (laughs) oh i totally went off um i don't know i actually don't know what they're ruling on i think they found it's a it's a safety issue just kind of like you can't how you can't reap the knee in jujitsu i think somehow because of the way the throws are happening um it they looked at it as a safety issue. I don't know how, or maybe it has to do with the fact that you know the ultimate goal is to epon. So if you touch the leg, then essentially you're kind of disrupting the throw. And if you're disrupting no. the throw, then ultimately that leads to more niwaza on the on the ground stuff, which apparently nobody in judo wants to see. Um, I know they also push the action a lot. In uh, that's yeah, that's what I was getting at. So nobody wants to see the nuaza stuff on the ground. They want to see the high amplitude throws and the epons. And so I think this was a way to drive the competitors to do that. You take away any options they have of going to the ground and only being able to throw, then you know. Have you tried get uh, that? Have you tried like watching a judo tournament and keeping mm-hmm. up? With- I can only watch highlights. I can't watch a judo tournament because it's too boring. It makes no sense to me that i've even like i watched the rules like the they have like a video on the website on the international jiu-jitsu or judo federation like a video on all the rules and everything or how it's scored i can i can't even understand it it's made for like kindergartners and i can't understand it it makes no sense stephanie Uh, asked if if training judo would help your jiu-jitsu of course absolutely 100 percent, but 100 percent yeah I love on it. the flip side of that i mean jiu-jitsu has judo throws in it like brazilian jiu-jitsu has the judo throws in it you know you have the yeah. the um the sotogaris and the um katagurumas and all those you know those aren't those are not uh i mean hell we even learned that Katag- the katagaruma was a wrestling technique 
that we got introduced into judo. So even calling that a judo itself isn't isn't right. Um, I think so. Not, yeah, it, uh, the the reason that jiu-jitsu players got away from, I think jiu-jitsu players would be considered good takedown artists had we not just zoned out on guard. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I think once the guard was introduced, everybody was like, holy shit, you mean you could, like, beat somebody while you're on your... Like, you can choke somebody unconscious. You know, like, once right. that idea sunk in, then the idea of, like, having to throw them was just like, it's not even... Why would we even try? Um, yeah, and you also... What you started seeing is people... People stopped doing takedowns in jujitsu as a result of um, a hole in their game, the inadequacies. So they were like, well, I don't want to learn how to do judo. I don't want to learn takedowns. I don't want to do wrestling. So I'm just going to pull guard and I'm just going to and I'm going to negate the the possibility of getting thrown. And I'm going to take away the opportunity for my opponent to throw me. Right. And that became like the, the game plan for so many uh, people that it just became accepted that, oh, OK, we're just going to pull guard. Yeah, I I don't understand. I don't I don't enjoy pulling guard most of the time. I always I don't feel myself if I can fight for the if, take. If you look at the greats from the past, um, oh, Hodger was, and yeah, that was one of the things that I was noticing was from that documentary, the Hodger Gracie documentary. Um, he seemed to really start to turn it around with his judo. He mm-hmm. started, He was so tall, and he could they, he could elevate you so well. Uh, like like what you you're able to do, um, he did a lot of foot sweeps, and he had that um, his go to was that frontward backward move, you know, where you go for the foot sweep and it doesn't work, and then you do you switch the directions or whatever, kind of like what you were showing at the seminar, and that was kind of like his go to. It and that's like uh, seems common amongst a lot of like uh, good uh, jujitsu players is they have a good judo strong a strong judo mm-hmm. um but to answer the question she she said uh when when should you start training in these sports i don't think that i've personally never i guess i have i've trained sports specific for each one but i've always considered it training for takedowns does that make sense i'm yeah. never training wrestling because i want to be a wrestler i'm training I went to like the college wrestling rooms because I want to get better at takedowns or defending takedowns as well. But, um, so I think that it's just an asset of a, a whole complete game is what you're trying to. to Yeah. That's the idea. Um, and I think, I think that until you develop a base cross training really probably shouldn't be something you should really put too much stock in obviously i encourage it at any point um but you don't want to be you don't want to start cross training so early that you lose sight of what your style really is and so you have to kind of develop a base and set that base and then start cross training to pick things out of the orchard to throw into your basket as opposed to because if if you don't even if you don't have a base then you don't even have a basket to put fruit in you just you're just holding a bunch of fruit in your arms and you don't know have anywhere to put it, you know? Yeah. I do think, I do think that uh white belt should learn more throws and takedowns though, because uh-huh. like, honestly, the person in more often than not in a white belt, the person that gets the takedown is the one that wins. 
Yeah. Um, You're the person that for- scores the first points. That's uh, typically, and that's something that, uh, that, that my coach um, always kind of pushes as well when we're doing competition training is, is that uh, you score, be the first to score, like always be first. And yeah. um, because, and I, I teach my students the same thing, because if I, if I score a two point takedown on you, you have no choice, but now to, you're now catch up. And because you're playing catch up, that's where a lot of mistakes are made because you have more to lose than I do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's the way I've always taught it. And, and I always, um, I do teach my, my students, um, take, um, and, but I keep them very simple because I, I want them to, to have that ability because you're you kind of one. It's, out a little bit, Mitch. Say that again. Am I? Yeah. Yeah. You did a little bit. Um, the reason that I, I, I want my students to have, uh, I teach them all takedowns and stuff is because it's not my, it's not for me to decide what their style is. And so, um, you know, just because I'm a judo or not judo, because I'm a scrambler and I have a decent stand-up game and stuff like that. Uh, that doesn't mean that all my students should have the same game as me. So I just, I teach a little bit of everything to include stand-ups to all my white belts and blue belts. Um, and then let them decide what they want to do with it. Yeah, I think that's the that's honestly the best approach. Um, you kind of have to like it's like throwing paint at the wall and hoping that it'll stick. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. You just a lot of the time you're just kind of throwing stuff out there. And I'm watching. Sometimes like I'll go over a set of, a series, and I'm watching like certain people, and I'm like, this really isn't just sinking in with them. This yeah, is, this is just not going to be your thing. Yeah, and then uh, you know, and then then a, a couple techniques down the road, I'm like, oh, they're getting this one, and then oftentimes too, um, you circle back around to that thing that they weren't getting, and somehow they all of a sudden get it. Um, I've found so many times that like, I wasn't, I didn't think that I could make a movement, like my, I couldn't make my body move the specific way. And then six months down the road and everything else I had been training, it just kind of got in my body to where I could move that way. You know what I'm saying? Um, like mounted arm bars were like that for me for a long time. I couldn't do mounted that like that S switch where you turn your head. mount? Yeah. Um, where you like put your hands on the chest and then kind of like do that hop switch or whatever. Um, I wasn't able to do that for the longest time. Because your and legs are so long. Yeah, probably. And I'm, I'm, um, but then like six months down the road, I guess my body just had kind of figured it out a little bit better. But yeah, I think that like the, the process, it all is in the process. It is. And, um, definitely tossed out an old, um, an old, uh, what is analogy that I used to use back in the day, you know, each student has to find the peanut butter to their jelly. I don't say that much anymore. Um, but at the time it was, it was one that I used a lot whenever Stephanie was coming to my classes and stuff. Um, I'd say that you don't say it anymore cause you found the peanut butter to your jelly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had no reason to because of the search is over. It's me. <laughs> um, and then there was something else I was going to mention about, uh, about that, but I, I can't remember what it was. Um, yeah, I don't. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, so you were talking about teaching series, and 
a lot of times I will teach uh, a series as well. So I'll teach, you know, um, here's a basic idea. Here's a basic transition from this position. Here is a another transition from that position. And then finally, here's an advanced tradition uh, transition from that position. And then I'll even tell the white and blue belts like, Hey guys, look, I taught you three different versions of this transition because you're not going to always get the advanced position. And so I'll tell a lot of my, uh, students when they're young and stuff, um, because I, I know I've known instructors who will teach something that is a little too advanced for most of their students. And that might be the only technique they taught in class that night. And now they're stuck for the next 30 minutes having to walk each student through the technique because it was beyond their scope of, of comprehension. Um, so that's why I always teach one or two super basic techniques and then a slightly more advanced technique. And I tell the white belts, I'm like, hey, give it a shot. See if it works. See if you can do it. If you can't do it, then while the advanced guys are training the advanced technique and drilling it, you go back and I want you drilling the simpler ones that we did before that. You know, what's honestly worked best for me is like I've taken a series like um, half, like let's say the, the half guard series that everybody does where like you have half guard with an underhook and then you drag, pull the leg out and come up to um, that dog fight position. Lucius Lachey dog. style. Yeah, 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 the coyote yeah. half or whatever. Okay, so mm-hmm. like everybody does that the exact same way. Um, but basically, like I usually will introduce the um, the the sequence to it at like as like a warm up, and then um, maybe then the next week, then we'll go into like I'll break down all the details and we'll go. I'll talk for like fifteen twenty minutes on it, and we'll do tons of reps of that and then the next week i'll just like i'll just tell them like do your half guard sequence and they'll do like 30 minutes of just drilling that over and over and over and over right and eventually it gets to the point where like you don't have to you know like if you spend sometimes i'll have to spend the time for maybe a week telling everybody like no this is how you do it and then like correcting them over and over and over again but as long as i'm diligent about like this is what we're doing every single day then like the following week i can get in and be like half guard do you lucas lecce back take and everybody yeah. bang 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 i think that's where people run into the biggest struggle is like most jujitsu gyms is like this person is teaching this day this person is teaching that day or this is what you're getting this day and i'm even guilty of it all the time like i'll just jump around techniques until something I'm like, Oh, I really feel good about this. I'm going to teach this for a while. Um, I teach, um, I teach positional, like I use the position itself to, um, kind of garner my lesson plan. So, um, I may go, you know what, let's do some half guard stuff. And then I have a half guard series that I teach. And, and since I teach the Tuesday, Thursday, 6am class, and then the Friday, 6pm class, um, what I typically do is I'll teach one portion of the series on Tuesday morning. I'll teach the second part of the series on Thursday morning. And then on Friday at 6 p.m. in the afternoon, I teach the entire series as a class. Yeah. 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 I do. See, I've done similar stuff like that. I get too distracted. I just like, um, if I'm not like, I have to be diligent about doing the same stuff over and over mm-hmm. and over. And then to like, we'll have a tournament and I'll come back and be like, okay, we're going to do a class. And I'm like, we need to fix a couple holes, you know, 
and then there'll be a couple of weeks of just drilling the holes that we need to fix. Uh, and and that's what is great about tournaments is they they expose that they expose the hole in your coaching uh, because if you see similarities throughout your competitors and you go oh man everybody once they get to this position or why is nobody thinking to do this during this facet of the of the match and you realize oh it's because I've lacked giving that information to them now I can close that up and now I know moving forward that when we discuss this series or we discuss contest prep or whatever, I've got to make sure that I, I hit those marks again. What's interesting too, um, about that, or what you just said is that Kano, uh, wasn't into competitions. Like he didn't, he wasn't, but he did, um, he did advocate for his students to compete. Right. Um, but when he was like, when he was asked about if, judo was going to be introduced into the olympics and stuff he said that his intent was never for it to be a competitive sport mm-hmm. that there was mainly just two facets was the randori and the what what was the other one um, kata so you have kata. Iwaza, randori and kata and like basically patterns or whatever yeah. um but yeah it basically said there's he didn't want there to be any competition that it was mostly a way of life and a way of like building almost like exactly what you were saying with, uh, uh, with GF team and everything was just building better Mm -hmm. citizens. Um, but that parallel is, is is strong there. The, uh, I, I don't, I don't think that I wonder what his opinion now would be on competition though, because like, it just like, it's such a strong, uh driving facet of learning for people it's almost hard to argue how could you learn judo without competing in- i know right um but then again i guess if you're doing like randori or whatever if you're you're competing with your classmates but when you guys i had um i did uh i'm the little spoon until i win a match against mitch that's true. <laughs> um, yeah. th- there was a time where I went, I was at Barksdale Air Force Base, which is in my hometown in, in, in Bossier. And uh, I was transitioning out of the Air Force. So I was getting close to becoming a civilian again. And I was, I was going down to the gym on base, um, which was the closest Air Force Base from where I was a recruiter at in Ruston. And my brother had gotten to where he wanted to get into MMA and stuff. Um, he, he, it was a, a short lived, um, experience for him. And, um, he just did, he didn't like to put in the work. He, he did not like to, cause we'd go down and we'd work out and I'd put him through like the, the gauntlet and stuff that, I, and, and he just didn't like to work out. He didn't like to do the conditioning stuff. And so, um, but there was a judo class that was being taught by some guy there and he was a black belt in judo and, and he would, um, and this was at the base, uh, gym on base. And I remember asking if I could train with his guys, if he didn't mind, if I could train with them. And he said, yeah, but I remember him, him saying, we, he goes, we don't do a lot of, um, groundwork. So please be careful with my students. And I was only a blue belt. I was a blue belt Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, Mm -hmm. and, but I don't know that he knew the rank structure of Jiu Jitsu, even though it's almost identical to, to judo for the most part. Um, but I just remember thinking like, that's so strange, you know, that's such a strange 
because in my in my uneducated brain, I thought there were a lot more similarities between judo and jujitsu. And then that's when I kind of realized, oh, there's there's really not. Like most of classic academies or whatever, it's there's not a whole lot of ground emphasis. I like that though. That's like, you know, like you get to, you can train those separately. Mm-hmm. I like I like that idea. I'd be like, yeah, that's a when I um one of the things that I struggled with like when I would wrestle um in the college wrestling room and stuff was that like or even like the high school wrestling or wherever it is um i was i struggled with like the rules of wrestling for instance you can't um connect your hands together mm-hmm. when getting up you know um or like wrapping around their their belly or whatever and so that's one thing that like as soon as i get a hold of you i'm gonna of course i'm gonna wrap my arms around you and connect my hands together and um so i spent more time focusing on like learning the groundwork of wrestling than learning the defensive and offensive wrestling that I need. Um, and so I would like, it'd be awesome to find a place where like, we only do judo, but only the judo, the takedown part of judo. We don't do any of the ground part of judo. Like, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. Cause right. Have- yeah. Cause that's, yeah, that's what you want. That's why you go. That's why we would go to a judo class to begin with is because, we're not trying to get better at the ground. We're trying to get better um, at the judo part, the throw parts. Yeah. If they had like a wrestling gym where they were like, we only do takedowns and the defensive part. There is a lot of the ground stuff, though, that is really helpful. Um, stuff like from referee position and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Stephanie asked if there would ever be a match against uh, you and me again. Honestly, uh, it. I, right. The now? only the only time I would ever fight you is if we were in a division and we didn't ha- and we were, you know what I mean? Like I I don't I would never want to do another super fight with you. I wouldn't. No, I would. I mean, like I I I would do a super fight. I don't. I wouldn't care either way. Um, I'm not like vying for one, but um, right. like if it were like something like uh, one of our friends had asked us if we would do a super fight. I'm like, yeah, we would totally do a super fight. And then I was thinking, I was like, what if it's against each other? I would do that too. Um, yeah. Ultimately, like, I don't think that it would matter. I'm not going to try. I don't think we should try and book ourselves for a super. No. But like, if it was like, yeah, we got this. I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't think it would make any difference to our friendship. No, I just, for me, I just, I probably wouldn't do it. I, I don't know that I could get in, in the right mental space to, to really compete uh because the first time we fought like we were friends but i also didn't know you well enough and i was able to stay in a very competitive mindset um now it's like here too um like i I consider eric ingram to be a a friend of mine and but because we don't talk to each other very often and we did compete against each other in um in tennessee i was still able to kind of keep a competitive mind state um right but like if, if Eric and I started hanging out or talking to each other on the phone and stuff. I probably, I probably wouldn't. That is basically what we do now is talk to each other on the phone. I know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Stephanie said, who do you think, what do you think Kana would think of jujitsu today? Um, I think he would be appalled, honestly. Like, I think he he would probably where he's looking, you know, that's what I was getting ready to say. Like, I think if he was looking at the heavyweights, your bushes, 
and your Leandro Lowe's, I think he'd be happy with what he sees. Um, but I think if, if he were to look, I don't, you know what? I take that back because he was so interested. No, I can't say that. I, I can't even say that he was interested in innovation because he wasn't really interested in innovation. The idea was, is he wanted to just meld the ground with the standup. That was his idea to create a well-rounded martial art. Um, you know who I, I think, you know who I think Kano would be proud of? Uh, Marcelo Garcia. That's who, mm-hmm. that's who oh, yeah. would be like, that's, that's judo. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what he would, or that's what his, uh, his vision was, was a guy like Marcelo Garcia or Bernardo Faria. Yeah. Like, that guy. Those nice he has guys. his own shirt now. <laughs> oh, does he? Yeah. It says, uh, it's got his picture on it. It says, Hey guys, it's a huge arm. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a, um, he had posted on Reddit about like that he had Googled himself and then mm-hmm. it was that meme. Yeah. And I wanted, I started commenting, uh, something about like, Hey, I bumped shoulders with you one time at world. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I just couldn't do it though. Cause I also was afraid that it was, it would, uh, he just like, there's always that language barrier. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't understand it. He would think you were being something Same. different. Yeah, I'm just going to sound like a total weirdo. Apparently, yeah. there were girls that came to see our super fight because they thought we were attractive. Um, yeah, our girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, duh, come on. <laughs> that's all That's all that I would expect. It sounds like, uh, I mean, like, the idea of, I don't know where where it comes from as far as, like, where Kano came up with the idea of rank or how he came up with the idea of rank, how any of that works. But apparently he's accredited with that. Yeah. He was the first to start using a white and a black. That was like, that was so, and, and the Gracie family did the same thing initially when, uh, and I don't know if, if, uh, as Fada and Luis Franca did the same thing. I don't know. But, um, all that did was you had to be a black belt in order to be an instructor. And so there was no rank at the time initially. So he had white belts for students, black belts for instructors, and that's how he set them apart. Um, And then when judo started getting into the competition side, there needed to be rank in order to organize skill level. And so that's where the, the Dan's or the, or the colors came in. Hmm. I wonder, there's just like, I want to invent my own martial art and start to, do our own rank system if you were gonna if you were gonna like let's design our own martial arts uniform it's gonna have an element of like all of the different martial arts that we've been talking about and we can we need to have like uh those those coloring pages where it's like color fill in the outfit or whatever mine would just look like um the character scorpion from Mortal Kombat. Yeah. <laughs> but if we could have like, we could take uh, the pockets inside the pants from Turkish oil wrestling. Oh, yeah. And uh, then... Um, we would have you, filed down nails and teeth from American Rough and Tumble. And then... Um, what was the... So the uh, the uh, Canadian uh, Indian martial art, the uh, yeah, Wichita or whatever? Yeah. You'd have the the tomahawk or the um, 
the uh, rifle butt tomahawk thing. Yep. So that'll be its the weapon that yeah. they kill. And then uh, the the pants. We can take the pants from the judo. They had like the the short uh, the shorts, like the gi shorts, basically. Take those from judo, and then put pockets on the inside of them. What else did we cover? Fifty-two blocks. What would you use? But you couldn't do much with that other than um, a shank. Was, that was yeah. You have a shank on the inside of your gi. There you go. Um, what other martial arts did we do? Man, we've done a bunch of them actually. I know. Um, I'm realizing that we've covered a lot of martial different martial arts. Um, Okichita is that that was the that was the Native American one that was fake. Uh, well, I take it back. It's real. It's just it. It has no uh, origin yeah. of validity. Um. Oh, no. I guess maybe like a maybe a hair salon, like a hair dryer or something from <laughs> from Count Dante. Yeah, from Count Dante. And then, uh, yeah, I can't think of any other any other martial arts now that I'm thinking of it. But yeah, we could. Uh, I want a black silk. Yeah, Stephanie says she wants a black silk robe like Dante. I was thinking uh, today too. I want to. We haven't done this in a while, but I want to try and get our listeners to um, share their favorite episode. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we link. talked about that on the last episode. Yeah, share the link to your favorite episode of the 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 podcast. Because um, I want to go back to and I want to listen to like what people's favorite episodes are, so that we can listen to it and then cater our um material to the things that you like to hear but I, you, a lot of people people? Don't, um a lot of people don't remember or realize our first episode was like three hours long yeah because we fe- just kept going we didn't know what to do we didn't know what we were doing we had no <laughs> yeah. idea like halfway through the episode you went and got the uh, john cena belt and brought it in the room um, <laughs> yeah. like- <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. and then like what's funny is people were like oh yeah we really like that uh, your podcast it was great, and I was like, "Well, I guess people will like it long, so let's keep doing it three hours." Yep, and, uh, we'll just keep doing it three hours long. Yep, and so now we here we are three hours into an episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I want to. I need to go back and start listening to him. This is episode thirty-three. No, thirty-four. Thirty-four. Yeah, th- Whoa, we're coming up pretty quickly on like episode fifty. I know. We'll have to do something pretty good for that. Yeah, we really do. Podcast turns 50. Episode 100 is like a big one. Really good. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. Um, So there's there's 52 weeks in a year. (laughs) And so we won't hit episode 100 this year, I don't think. Uh, That's too much math for me. Yeah, I'm just guessing because we've already done. Doing it now. We've been doing it six months, right? Well, there's April. There's there's been four months already have gone by. We've only done the podcast for four months. No, <laughs> I, what I was saying was is that um, there's 52 Sundays in a year. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And you. so we've done four, we're four months into this year. So that that takes out uh, eight. That's sixteen, sixteen episodes right there. Yeah, we won't we won't hit a hundred year. No, it'll be probably middle of next year. We'll hit a hundred. But still, if we want it to be big, we got to start planning it out now. 
Stephanie's been with us for 10 episodes. I didn't realize that. Wow. Look at us growing. Uh, yeah. Growing into nowhere. <laughs> uh, the word, now we're, we've only degraded. Since we've started the podcast, we've only gone backwards. We've <laughs> yeah. only gone worse. We're now to a point where we're having to phone call each other and talk on the podcast. It's Eventually, by the end of the year, the episodes are just going to be two and a half minutes long. <laughs> yeah. Stephanie's only added more noise to the episodes. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be just like the dial tone um, or the, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the dial tone whenever a computer is getting onto dial up. The dial up modem. Yeah. That is where you should uh, upload that for a whole episode. <laughs> People would fucking lose their minds. <laughs> That'd be a good April Fool's joke. That would be a good one. Too bad we uh we leaked it now. Um, I know. Stephanie but, asked if there if Kana was around, would there still be sexual harassment in jiu-jitsu? Absolutely. Um yeah. I mean, you know, oh, that no. that's there's creeps everywhere. Would we have sexual oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we would always have Yeah, that's I'm sure that existed even back then. It was just slightly differently accepted because of the 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 gender roles that were played in in society at the time but odds um, are kano or one of his students were were yeah were, yeah 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 if there's anything like uh just playing like the most numbers. yeah uh i can't imagine a world where that kind of i mean honestly like you know obviously we always went i just I just can't imagine a world where like those kind of crazy people don't exist. Unfortunately, I don't feel women would be allowed to train judo. That's yeah, they true. Could. I think they did though. I think. Oh in yeah, Japan, yeah, yeah. And in, in feudal Japan and stuff like that, they had like all women's. Um, not feudal Japan. I don't know why I said that, but um, they had like all women class. I mean, martial arts was everyone. Everyone had to do it because it was taught in school. Judo was offered in in public school, so men, women, everybody, everybody trained. My, I'm getting who I'm been reading about mixed up now, but either Maeda or Kano was married to a um like an Italian-born woman that was Maeda, a, yeah, Maeda was, yeah, Maeda, yep. okay, yeah, his yeah. wife was like straight white looking. Go, go, Maeda, mm-hmm. that, that foreign girl. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I just love a good, <laughs> good interracial couple in in history, proving them all wrong. <laughs> You know, because you know that was like turning heads back then. Oh, absolutely, dude. I mean, like even even whenever Bruce Lee was was doing his thing uh, in the in the forties and fifties, I guess is whenever he was dating his wife and stuff. Yeah, I mean, that was almost unaccepted. Uh, Bruce Lee's mother in law absolutely hated the idea that uh, that she, you know she called him a, a Chinaman or whatever. But um, no, Orient. Uh, what was it? Oriental. Yeah, she <laughs> called him Oriental. Mind. Civic slur. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, no, that's like that's just my favorite. It's like a good old fuck you to all the racists and and bigots out there with a good interracial marriage. <laughs> not like nothing, a good old interracial relationship. To them like that, honestly, um, or like just being happy, you know, like of the of the race that they hate and just be like we're happy and successful and racist people would be like no well what's even funnier is um 
you know, so not so much in America anymore, but back then, you know, when, when he married that Italian lady, um, he was marrying her because she was probably exotic to him, but she also was getting the exotic fetish out of her situation too, because he was Japanese. That's true. So, what if, you like, know, it's men back then were like the thing, you know, like they're not, they're, they're not like the, the hot commodity now but maybe 100 200 years ago they might have been like the hot commodity on the market it's very possible yeah um i don't know what's that what is the hot commodity now today yeah um you can't say like white guys because that's they're like you know like tall white guy or whatever like i feel like no i don't think that would be the commodity or like it just depends on what part of the world you're in go and stuff i know i've heard that they they like um, blonde hair, blue eyed men because it's kind of exotic. That's true. Yeah. Well, why isn't there, hasn't there been a killing racist people where there's like a, a racist people? Why aren't there, why isn't there a video game where the enemy is like blatant racist people? Like the KKK. Isn't that what Grand Theft Auto is? No, because like. Some of the people, some of the characters that you're playing are kind of racist, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, like, why hasn't the KKK been a villain in a uh, in a video game yet? I'm sure it has. It's just not a game that we've gotten our hands on. That has There's to be. a lot of underground games out there. That's true. But I feel like that would be like a big time game. That <laughs> yeah. Do you? Actually, hell yeah, you can kill a bunch of... Bur- go to a bunch of burning uh, or cross burnings and just start spraying KKK guys on a video game. Hell yeah. I wonder what the, uh, what, I mean, what would be the mission, you know, like, well, I know, oh, I, I mean, you know what? It, the game practically writes itself. Right. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't need any motive. It's no. like, <laughs> these, are, these are bad guys. Go kill them. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, see how many of them you can kill. <laughs> Uh, that's a, that's a terrible way of thinking, though. Whenever you think about it, yeah. But you know, it's just a video game. <laughs> it's not real life. Yeah, there's no way that it affects real life. Maybe that's why they don't make those video games because it's too close to real life. I think you'd be exactly right. <laughs> I yeah. found one. You found one? Yeah. Sorry. I, yeah, what? I had to cut in for this one. I knew there had to be one out there. It's a Wikipedia page. It was a Microsoft Windows computer game <laughs> by um, what's it's the White Nationalist Group, um, uh, Red, National Red. Alliance. It's called the Ethnic Cleansing. Nailed it! Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! You're you're thinking this is like a game for uh, it's. The to play yeah right. I, the sad part is there's it, there's one out there okay i just want to be clear that's not what i was describing apparently, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no. apparently um red dead redemption 2 it <laughs> oh, allows players yeah, to kill okay. close clan members you can't i totally forgot about that i've, I've yeah. actually done that in that video game <laughs> i was gonna say how have you not known that yeah i totally forgot about that but it's not like a it's not like a that's not like the game, you know what I'm saying? Like you're not right. like running around. Well, there's killing. another one. Um, this might be 
the one she was talking about. It's uh, it's a it's a PC game. Um, it says it's ridiculous. Players take on the role of either a skinhead or like, oh, this is reverse racism. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. The object of the game is to no, kill black and Latino people. It is racism. <laughs> it is racism. <laughs> I didn't mean. I didn't mean re, uh, reverse. I'm sorry. I didn't mean reverse racism. I mean, it was reversing of the plot that we were discussing. <laughs> yeah, we got such a <laughs> massive a conversation to be talking about. Uh, yeah, so just to be clear, I want the video game to be... We want to kill racist. Taking out it was going to be like a revenge game. Yes, there we go. Um, <laughs> that would be... That just... right. Yeah, you're right. That writes itself. Or an OJ game. Because you have, like, you have a car chase. You have uh, a murder. You have golf. You have a courtroom trial, which, face it, wasn't even, like, a courtroom trial. That's, like, um, you know, and he could be your, or OJ's having sex with Kim Kardashian's mom. So... There's that aspect of the game too. There's a, that could be a pretty deep game. Is that that's what's happening right now? What? No, that's OJ's... what happened then. OJ had, yeah, Kim Kardashian is OJ Simpson's daughter. You didn't Are you know sure that? about that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> there's like um, there's, uh, there's some conspiracy. I don't know who is having sex with who. Well, um, the Kardashians' dad. Was one of O.J. Simpson's attorneys, right? And um, he was like, he was married to. Uh, I don't know. There's there's some conspiracy that like O.J. He was like letting O.J. have sex with his wife or something like that. Well, I but, mean, wouldn't you? I mean, look, it's fucking O.J. Simpson, bro. That's true. Yeah. The juice is loose. How could you say no? How could you say no? There was a bar in San Antonio on the Riverwalk. And I can't remember the name of it, but it was all um, '90s themed. And mm-hmm. on one of the one of the floors was '90s themed. And you walk into the bar, and it has the TVs on. All these all these TVs are on, and it's just playing the O.J. Simpson chase on uh, repeat. And then it actually had like a white Bronco in the bar where that you could like take pictures of and stuff like that. That's my nightmare. I remember. Was- Go ahead. No, I was going to say it was it was awesome at the time. I remember whenever the chase happened, um, we were living in Colorado, and my parents had a bed on the floor in the basement of our house. That was their bed. Well, we lived in a duplex, and we lived in the basement of somebody else's house, basically. And like, uh, there was a bed on the on the concrete floor. And we had a TV and my dad was like just glued to the TV watching the OJ chase. <laughs> and I was like, I, I want to say I was like four, but I really have no concept of how old I was. When was the OJ chase? Uh, early 90s, 92. 92, so eight, seven, like eight, 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 nine. Yeah, so maybe around four or five. And um, I just remember being so fucking bored and be like, why the fuck is he so into this shit? Like 94. Um, well, I mean, it would have been five or six. It, I think about that all the time because the last, so the one of my 
first memories of like a national event was during the initial uh, desert storm because um, it, it was all over the news. And I remember asking my mom, why, you know, how were we safe? If there was a war going, why were we not going to be killed? And she had to explain yeah. to me that it's in a faraway place and it's not even, you know, whatever. And then the next one after that would have been 9-11. So like those are the the two because I don't remember the OJ Simpson stuff at all. I have no memory of it. Oh really? I remember the I remember the OJ Simpson. I remember the chase because of that and that specific thing. I remember just my dad being like glued to the TV and like, Dad, like what the fuck? Um, like why are you watching? Part of me wonders drive? if if I have if I do have memory of it or if it's just a false memory because I've seen it so many times on television. Yeah, I have a lot of memories like that. The, um, it was the Rodney King and the riots. That was uh, in 92. So I definitely don't remember that. Yeah. I remember um, I remember the reunification in Germany. I remember seeing the fireworks and stuff outside for that. See, I don't remember that either. I don't remember any of that stuff. Um, well, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't remember that probably. Yeah, that's a good point. I was there for that. Um, yeah. And then I think you're right. Probably like nine 11 as a kid. I don't know. I, well, I remember, do you remember the monarchy, uh, stuff that went on? The monkey stuff? Monica Lewinsky. Oh, <laughs> uh, kind of. So I remember. I don't remember anything about the the whole scandal. The only thing I remember was I was at my grandmother's house staying the weekend when Bill Clinton gave the State of the Union address where he said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I yeah. do. I saw that. I remember watching that on television because I remember my grandmother thinking, uh, saying um, that he was just a lying Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, I don't know what that means. I, th- I thought they were all Democrats, you know. Oh, yeah. The Paula Jones. Case. Yeah, the Paula Jones thing with with that was around the same Monica Lewinsky stuff though. Paula Jones, um, it's so funny because I always have these weird memories of of how I how I assumed these people played out in history, and then you go back as an adult and you you read about the actual cases, and you're like, oh shit, that's not what I thought it was at all. Yeah, yeah. There's always there's always some. Well, I actually. Have you seen the Netflix series Waco that's coming out? I just started watching it last night, but like we talked about earlier, I was super drunk and I don't remember it, but I do remember thinking it was funny that, oh, because the guy who plays David Koresh is the same person who played Lieutenant Michael Murphy from the Navy SEAL movie, or Lone Survivor. And uh, I just remember thinking it was an interesting role jump into that, but. Um, it was funny because we were sitting around watching it and, uh, I, I'm a big, um, history buff when it comes to that. Like I, I know way more than I should about the Waco Ruby Ridge and the Oklahoma city bombing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, right as I was explaining to, um, one of my friends that was here, who was watching it with us, um, I was, tr- cause she actually was like, I don't know what this is. I, this is, so I was explaining to her about Waco. And then I said, you know, the uh, Oklahoma city bombing was a result of Waco and Ruby Ridge. Um, It was, it was Timothy McVeigh's 
basically, you know, fuck you to the U.S. government. You attack us, we're going to attack you back kind of thing. Um, and right as I said that, it actually connected the Ruby Ridge uh, deal with the Waco deal kind of alluding to the fact. So I don't know if it's going to get to the point where it talks about Timothy McVeigh's inspiration because Timothy McVeigh was actually at the Waco compound uh, selling T-shirts. Not he wasn't at the compound. He was, you know, in the safe zone, but um, he was actually they actually have footage of him selling T-shirts on the side of the road during that whole thing in Waco. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I don't know if they did a series on Timothy McVeigh, but I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, I don't know if they're going to connect the dots or not. That'd be pretty sweet, though. Like, I know. If, it'd be sweet if they tied it all together. Like, Well, because for a lot of years, they didn't know that there was any tying together to be done. They didn't realize that they were interconnected that way until a couple of years after the fact. Yeah, that was like one of the biggest manhunts, too. Like, they looked for him for a long time. I also, I do remember the uh, Oklahoma City botting. Like, I do remember that pretty well. Um, yeah, I remember that as well. Have you been it, to the memorial? No, I haven't. Um, I've been to Oklahoma City a bunch of times. I just I just never have gone there. Um, what was interesting was initially they thought that it was um, Middle Eastern terrorists. So it's, it's just funny. If you go back and watch um, all your... Um, your action movies over the past like 30 years, mm-hmm. the terrorist groups have always made like full circles, you know, cause like oh, the, yeah. uh, it was, it was always middle Eastern terrorists and like the movie Navy seals and all that. And then you watch die hard and now it's um, he's like Ukrainian or like uh Russian or something like that, you know, Eastern European. Um, yeah. Yeah. You got Eastern European. So it's kind of neat to see like as the action movies, progress through history the current events slid into them but it was always a full circle and it, the terrorist groups have always been like the same ones like serbians the middle eastern terrorists eastern Bloc terrorists you know it's always like those same three that get cycled through the funny thing some of the funny things about that is like people will be like yeah that's designed to to scare you they do that to scare you and like brainwash you and i want to be i want to say like yeah, they do that to scare you. Like that's their intention is they want you to like, they want to get that emotion out of you. So they try to figure out like connect the dot. It's going to scare somebody right now, a middle Eastern, but let's put them in there. And so like it being this, like it's that connecting the dots backwards thing. You know, like this conspiracy, they're all trying to brainwash us into, into hating all Japanese people. You know, and like, but then I guess back then they were super racist, so you can't say that because yeah. <laughs> they were like absolutely trying to brainwash. Exactly. Uh, but then when I think about it, like if I were making a movie, you know what I'm saying? I'd be thinking like, what's my thought process would be, what's scary to people right now? What's the scary thing to people right now? Middle Eastern terrorists. It's so true. And viruses. Villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, let's take our villain and make them a Middle Eastern person, right? But then whenever you think, I guess whenever you think about it in billionaire terms, you have to make everything racist. <laughs> Speaking of uh, billionaire terms uh, and the COVID-19 thing, I, I saw something kind of interesting today that I was like, you know what? That is kind of that is kind of a funny scenario. Not funny. It's, it's actually pretty tragic. So we've had to close non-essential businesses so there's all these small businesses like your gym you know like these small business owners they're who are that are deemed 
non-essential. And so they have to close. But a store like Walmart has been deemed essential. And all they do is sell non-essential items. Mm, I know that there's stuff there that people are, but my point is, is that like, how do I say it? So, you know what? Now that I think about it, we really do need Walmart. <laughs> yeah. Then, a pretty bad example. So I was thinking about this because they, um, Amazon got. It's because yeah. they have grocery stores. So the rule is anybody with that sells any kind of grocery has to, is considered essential. Yeah. So like Dollar Trees, because they have a freezer section and a small food section, it's Which considered essential. There's so, there's so much other stuff that is considered essential that isn't food. You know, like you need medication, you need first aid kits, you need but, uh, so, hygiene products. And, yeah. and I agree with that. And that, but, and that's why like in some states they've had issues because they've deemed some things non-essential. So therefore they just wouldn't sell them at all. And yeah, it, this that's struggles. where you get, what, what do you pick and choose that's essential to somebody? and not to others and mm-hmm. people start freaking about that freaking out about their rights are being taken away because fuck you i want to buy this earring set right now yeah or they, whatever there's how do you determine what's essential to different people in different situations too you know like what if there's a part on your air conditioner that's going out and you need the tool to that part, but you can't get it from Lowe's because they're deemed non-essential. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you have a baby at home and it's summertime and you need that air conditioner, something like that. I don't know, but no, that's but, a great. I mean, I I did see like I went to Mart today because I had to do grocery shopping, and as I'm going down because I knew exactly where the stuff was that I needed, I can tell people got their stimulus check because they were. It was like everybody had their tax return. Yeah. I saw one lady pushing a cart and it had rugs in it, and throw pillows and a blanket. And it's like, you're redecorating your. And that's what the stimulus check is supposed to do. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an economy stimulus. I think, um, the, I think the point is though, that a lot of the stuff that still being bought is unnecessary. Stupid, right. Though. Um, like putting like the idea, like one, put out tvs for exactly 1200 bucks yeah <laughs> oh wow i didn't know that oh yeah i saw uh it was a like a 75 inch tv for like 598 yeah so half your money gone <laughs> i just put all mine in savings so well, guys i want to wrap this up because i'm getting tired <laughs> okay enough. you guys Best ready time. for it i got yeah, the, we're quiz. Gonna do the quiz yeah we got yes. a quiz and then we're going to get off here because this is going to be a long episode. It is. Okay. And I'm sleepy. Yeah, but I had, I, banks are essential, so I have to go to work tomorrow. Hmm. Um, first question. How do you guys deal with a fight? Do y'all talk it over in person or text it out or give each other space? Or you've never fought? We've never fought. And, and the thing is, is, I think about this all the time because it doesn't, that doesn't mean that I haven't pissed Johnny off or Johnny hasn't pissed me off. I think the reason we haven't fought is because we are, I don't know. Like I, if, if, if Johnny's ever done something that's pissed me off, 
I just look at it and go, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Like it is what it is. Like yeah. there's no point in talking about it. There's yeah, there's really nothing that we do that's a big enough deal to like right. get bent out of shape about. <laughs> right. What role does your BFF play when you're about to go on a date? Ooh. Do they give you lots of advice? Do they basically walk you through everything, text, outfit, pre-planning? Why? For some reason, I immediately assumed that meant that me and Johnny were going on the date together. No. <laughs> um, like, you might tell them how it went afterwards. You're gonna I think, call I think it'd be uh, right after and tell them everything. I think it would be um, one of those text you afterwards kind of thing because yeah, um, when you called me the other day. Um, it was really surprising. Like when I was, when I, I was laying in bed and, and I saw a number pop, it surprised me because we don't talk on the, other than doing this, you know, but, um, we mostly handle everything through text. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time I was going to, I was going to say, if there's anything that you would do before it'd be my hype man. Oh yeah. Then, I'm I'm a hundred percent your hype man. That's for sure. It looks huge right now. Oh, Lord. let me fluff that shit. <laughs> Next question. Have you ever seen your best friend cry? No. A couple surprised. of times, only once, all the time. Not yet. Not no. yet. Mm-hmm. What would happen if your best friend had a cry? If you, if you guys like the same person, has it we'd, come up? We'd have big problems. <laughs> yeah, we'd have some pretty big problems. <laughs> um, I would find a way to make it um, Johnny's fault. And make him feel guilty about it. Well, your options are it hasn't come up yet. The first one to make the move obviously wins. We no, call it a all truce. All we would do is we would just do neither, it anyways and then not tell each other. We'd call it a truce and neither one of us would make a move. We'd discuss it and come to agreement before someone we'll just, makes a move. We'll just say this. Here's the I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna lay this to rest right now. First one to make a move wins. Fair. That's the rule. Okay. First I'll, one I'll, I'll, have to make, <laughs> make a move, then the other one has to bow down and just walk out. Then it becomes this uh, weird race. <laughs> Where it's like both of us are like a total standstill. Like, I'm not going to make a move, dude. It just becomes the movie Something About Mary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. Are you and your bestie comfortable just hanging out and not talking? No, no, because that's all we do. That's what our relationship is built around. No, yeah. it's uncomfortable, and I'd prefer to talk about something. Or yeah, very good. comfortable. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> We've started recording these later and later. Dude, this shit's got my sleep schedule fucked up. All right, finally, do you guys talk about your sex lives to each other? Well, well, yeah, after this, uh, the beginning of this episode, yeah. <laughs> um, all the time, even disgusting stuff, especially when it's the most disgusting stuff. We've had some pretty disgusting conversations about sex. I'm yeah. saying, yeah, then, because the rest were no's, so. That's true. I, I share pretty much, like, all stories that I have with everybody. <laughs> I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm the, uh, yeah, I, I'm the, I'm a little bit of an over, so <laughs> I would say that. Yeah. Is that the last one? Yeah, but 
it didn't do shit. Yeah, what? that's the story of our life with these stupid. These stupid oh, yeah, I'm going to say it. You guys are besties through and through. Nailed it. <laughs> Bingo. Congratulations. Little awards for ourselves on our Discord. <laughs> our little lonely chat room. Eventually, we'll have people on here one day that will come and hang out with us. Right. Um, I think that it's the coolest idea. I oh, think we need to come up with a different time. Yeah, that could be it too. Um, or just, you know, um, make more people like us. Also. <laughs> <laughs> um, ooh, that's a good name right there. No hold. That should be the name of our question channel. No holds bars? Yeah. No holds barred. Um, and then what was the other bone setters? We need a bone deep. setters. That's our fan club. Cool, just like graphic or something to use. I think uh, so. Yeah, the bone setter. That's cool. All right, we need to get off here, and uh, that's it, everybody. We will see you guys next week. All right. Bye. See you.